You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden is back on vacation at Lake Tahoe as the White House prepares what is expected to be billions of dollars in additional disaster relief funding. Made more urgent, of course, by the wildfires in Hawaii. That's on top of a separate request coming for extra money in Ukraine. And helping us put all of this together is Bloomberg White House correspondent Jordan Fabian. And it's great to have you here, Jordan. Thank you. You're just back from the trip to Hawaii. You were on Air Force One for that trip uh, with President Biden. So we might as well start there. I'd like to ask you a little bit about what you saw. But importantly, the president is going to be asking for billions of dollars for FEMA, who's already in need of money. How much worse did this make the financial situation? Uh, Joe, it seems to get worse by the day. Uh, just being on the ground there, the pictures and video don't do it justice. The damage, it's as if you know a, a foreign army had dropped incendiary bombs on yeah. a city. There's just nothing left, and it all went away in an instant. So you're not even not only talking about rebuilding, but in the moment, you're still trying to recover people who may have died. Uh, you need to take away all of the hazardous material from all the buildings that burned down. And then you need to start thinking about rebuilding. So this is going to take years project. and it's going to take billions and billions of dollars. Billions is what we're talking about here. And all we keep hearing about is that the government is about to shut down because nobody can agree on just basic government funding. So what are we in for here? I didn't even ask you yet about Ukraine. Right. It's going to be very complicated in September. As you just laid out, uh, the fiscal year ends September 30th. Congress needs to figure out the budget for the next year. And that, you know, that's on discretionary spending, all, yeah. the, all the line items. And then in addition to that, they're talking about this supplementary package for $12 billion in disaster relief. And then also that f uh, about $13 billion is in there for Ukraine military assistance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the thought now, you know, people hypothetically speaking, that that money might get attached to a stopgap bill to kind of stop the government from shutting down right. while they figure out the bigger questions about the federal budget. Meanwhile, Speaker McCarthy and others in the Freedom Caucus say, no, it's got a, what, a clean right. CR. How is this going to well, well, this Yeah, the, the House Freedom Caucus, which is this radical group of uh, conservatives in the House who have really forced McCarthy's hand uh, throughout his entire speakership, say they want things attached like, 
you know, border new border security provisions, uh, you know, stripping money from uh, the, perhaps the prosecutors uh, investigating Donald Trump and, and some things that Democrats just won't go for. Yeah, so right. that complicates the immediate question of whether there will be a shutdown, not to mention the broader budget debate. White House has two separate. I know we're getting we're getting wonky here, but are these two separate requests or one big ask? for disaster relief in Ukraine? Right now it's one big ask. The okay. entire package is $40 billion, and that has a lot in it, um, you know, a lot of emergency requests. Now there's a chance that could get split. Mm-hmm. And now I want to throw something else at you, Joe, okay, which good. is I talked to Senator uh, Brian Schatz of Hawaii when yes. we were out there, and he was saying that the delegation is actually thinking about making an additional request just for Hawaii because the rebuilding costs could be so high. Right now the disaster estimate is $5.5 billion, and if you think about that $12 billion figure, that's almost right. half of that. And that's for every natural disaster all around the country for a whole right. year. Wow. So we're talking a lot of moving parts here. So this was quite a trip. The president's not getting a lot of credit for it. Um, I just keep seeing stuff on Twitter is falling asleep in a meeting, whether the, I don't know if that actually happened. Uh, the narrative is that he was talking about how hot the ground was and that he almost lost his Corvette in a fire. You were there. Is that fair after all the people he met with, all the touring that he did, realizing it was later than some people might have wanted? Yeah, look, I think the, the, a, a lot of what the president's struggling with is that first impression he made. When, yeah. you know, he, he, spoke, he spoke about the fires, then he took five days in between talking about it again. Mm-hmm. And in between is when he was asked about the death toll and said no comment. So a lot of people have that in their mind. Um, I think a lot of the things on the ground with him were cherry-picked. Um, that thing about the ground being hot, he was yeah, actually right. meeting a— a cadaver dog who's been going through uh, the the wreckage yeah. wearing boots, wearing boots, yeah. and so uh, you know that's what he was commenting on. And you know we drove in his motorcade along the road. You know there were certainly some Trump supporters there, people raising their fingers, middle fingers to Biden. There were, huh? uh, yeah, there, there, was, there were some of that, but there were a lot of people who were also excited to see him. Uh, we were in a community meeting where he uh, he gave some remarks about uh, how he will, the U.S. will rebuild the way the people of Maui want it to be rebuilt. And he actually stuck around uh, for over an hour afterwards to talk to people one on one. And so, um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of people. Look, there's a lot of people who are angry about what's happening. And so mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of raw emotion. Uh, but he did go out there and try and make a good impression. Yeah, uh, understood. Did you see this from the air or was it? By traveling, uh, we we by saw both Joe. So uh, first, we uh, we were in helicopters uh, accompanying the presidential helicopter Marine One. Yep. We did a flyover of Lahaina, which is the historic town there that was the hardest hit, and then we landed and and drove in to Front Street, which was really the epicenter of the damage. And there were just as I said, entire city blocks just gone, twisted metal. You can still smell the smoke in the air. Wow. Uh, the president spoke uh, beside the famous banyan tree there that's been standing for 150 years. That's really become a symbol for the community. And he used that as uh, sort of a metaphor to say, you know, this tree uh, may have been scorched, but uh, yeah. we were, we will rebuild. I'm sure you'll never forget it. And I really, this is one reason why I really wanted to talk to you because that story isn't being told uh, terribly well right now. So I appreciate it, Jordan Fabian. Many thanks for talking to us as always here on Bloomberg Sound On. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. 
I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. As we move uh, to the congressman, looking forward to talking with Congressman Seth Moulton, the Democrat from Massachusetts, with us here uh, on the fastest show in politics. Congressman, thanks for joining. It's great to have you back. Of course, your view as a Democrat from Massachusetts about the whole debate tonight might be interesting, and I'm going to ask you about that. But I do want to start with the matter at hand here. As we were discussing with Jordan, he's just back from Hawaii. He's seen the damage firsthand. And as we juggle these requests, these supplemental requests for billions and disaster relief uh, for Hawaii on top of uh, what is needed in Ukraine, Hearing threats of a government shutdown, do you see any of this actually being approved in Congress? Well, Joe, uh, first of all, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, yes, I think that people understand that we need to get aid to Hawaii. Most people, including most Republicans in Congress, understand that we need to get aid to Ukraine. They're just afraid to say it publicly because they get so much backlash from the far right. The question, of course, is is how long it will take to actually work out a deal. And the way that the far-right extremists in the Freedom Caucus have a stranglehold on Kevin McCarthy's speakership, that's, I mean, you said it yourself, that's exactly the problem here. That's the political obstacle to getting these things done. Is this all the same conversation, Congressman, about funding the government as well as these supplemental requests? Or could it be that Congress gets emergency uh, disaster relief through, for instance, and then has a longer argument about funding the next fiscal year. Well, there are a lot of different ways that could this could play out. Um, but the problem is you don't have reasonable people in the room. And, and, and let's also step back a, a second, Joe. The reason we're here in the first place is because of the total dysfunction of the Republican House, which hasn't passed hardly any appropriations bills. I mean, I sit on the House Armed Services Committee, and one thing that we hear year after year after year is you can't just give us continuing resolutions that basically just copy last year's budget for this year. 
because they can't make any changes. They can't innovate. They can't invest in the new things that we need to keep our nation safe. Guess what? The world changes. Technology changes. We don't want to be buying the same weapon systems, the same ammunition, whatever it is, the same computers, the same software that we bought a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, that's common sense. And yet we're debating whether we can just get a continuing resolution through that in and of itself is not what we need. We're in this place to begin with because under Republican leadership of the House, they can't even pass basic appropriations bills to fulfill the budgetary needs and requests of, for example, the Department of Defense. And even the things that we in Congress have already approved in our uh, debate through the committees, like uh, sitting on the House Armed Services Committee, would have very bipartisan bill come out to fund the Department of Defense. But if we can't update the budget to meet the requirements of that bill, because they're just going to copy what we had last year, they can't even pass the appropriations bills. That's a terrible place to begin with. And now it's looking like it will be even worse because they can't even do that. How much does so this Ukraine really complicate this congressman? We've got a well, we've got a supplemental request as well for funding in Ukraine, and I know that's becoming a more difficult conversation and, and some doubts in the intelligence community about whether this counteroffensive uh, was worth the investment, whether it might be a partial failure. Uh, should these be pulled apart so we can deal with the matter in Hawaii and deal with FEMA separately from the war in Ukraine? I think realistically, they should not be pulled apart because the only way that you're going to get the kind of Republican support you need for Ukraine, even though, like I said, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here because behind the scenes, most of these Republicans are supportive of Ukraine. They understand how important supporting Ukraine is for our national security and, and, and you know, happy to go into that in detail. But the point is that despite the fact that behind closed doors, a lot of uh, Republicans support Ukraine, they're not going to do so publicly. Uh, they're real hypocritical about it. And so therefore, it's really important that you do put these together in a larger funding package so that we can get it across the finish line. That might not be the answer people like to hear, but that's the political reality of the dysfunction that we have right now in the Republican caucus. It's hard to not discuss the political reality in Russia as we talk about Ukraine, Congressman. We have breaking news uh, right now from Interfax that Evgeny Prigozhin, the Wagner head, or former Wagner head, has been listed among passengers aboard a private jet that has just crashed in Russia. Interfax reporting this, citing Russian aviation uh, authorities. This is just breaking news. We've heard a lot of things about Mr. Prigozhin but if this is real, Congressman, we had folks on this program saying he should avoid tall buildings after what happened with Vladimir Putin. What does this tell us? I mean, frankly, this is like the least surprising news of the day because we all expected that he wouldn't last long after threatening Vladimir Putin. And some people said, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll survive a year. Some people said less than that. Uh, but there's no question that uh, that Putin's out to kill his rivals. And it sounds like that's exactly what he's done to Prigozhin today. Remarkable, if this turns out to be true. Next week, uh, in our remaining moment here, Congressman, I know something that is very important to you and your colleagues on the Armed Services Committee, you as a combat veteran and a Marine, the anniversary of our withdrawal from Afghanistan, uh, bringing back some tough memories 
of the war and for the administration. What are your thoughts as we approach that day? Well, it's a solemn anniversary because it was a disastrous withdrawal. And I'm here as a Democrat, not afraid to say that. You know, so don't think I'm just a, a partisan critic here. I'm, uh, I'm bipartisan here. Of course, there were failures on, under multiple administrations. Uh, President Trump clearly had no plan for the withdrawal whatsoever. But nonetheless, it happened on President Biden's watch. And the Biden administration still has a lot of work to do to help clean up the mess. Uh, we have some estimates around 200,000 allies that we served alongside, that we pledged our lives to protect that we've just left behind and they're being hunted down by the taliban as we talk on the radio today every single day and night the taliban are after these guys because they worked with us because they risked their lives not just for afghanistan but for the united states of america they did a lot more than most americans will ever do for their for our country and we got to get them out and the process is moving too slowly. There are veterans across the country, and I should say across the world, because, of course, it was an international coalition over there. You know, I've got friends in the British military who are trying to get their Afghan allies out, for example. And so the veteran community is very upset about this situation because we don't leave people behind. And yet here we have. So it's still within the power of this administration to get these people out. It's hard. There's a lot of bureaucracy. You've got to contend with the domestic politics of Republicans who are, you know, refuse any immigration uh, whatsoever. But this is a place where among veterans, there's a strong bipartisan consensus that we've got to get these guys out. We've got to protect them and their families. And we're not going to rest until that job is done. We talked, uh, around the anniversary of the Iraq war invasion about the authorization for the use of military force. This is still on your to-do list, Congressman. When does it happen? Yeah, there's a lot that's still on my to-do list. I'm sorry to say, but you know, the point is that it's Congress's responsibility to have a real serious debate about sending young Americans to fight and die in our wars. And Congress has just completely pushed aside that responsibility by just having administrations, again, <clears throat> Democratic and Republican administrations, just go back to these authorizations for the use of military force that were, that were passed 20 years ago in a totally different world. And that's because colleagues of mine are afraid to just have the debate before the American people about whether we should have troops in these places overseas, just like so many Republicans right now support Ukraine in classified briefings, but then go out on Fox News and and say that they don't want to see more money going to Ukraine. I mean, they're just lying because we know that's not what they really believe or really understand. But the point is, we've got to have some political courage here to have this real debate. We owe that to the American people whose sons and daughters we asked to fight. And most of all, we, we owe it to the troops who were telling to go put their lives on the line. So this is a place, again, where veterans on both sides of the aisle tend to agree. And you've got a bipartisan consensus that we have to have these political debates. But under Democratic leadership of the House, 
under Republican leadership of the House, same you say the same thing for the Senate. It basically hasn't happened in 20 years. 20 years. I'll end uh, with this, Congressman, and I appreciate your time today. We've gone a little bit over here, but everyone's talking about the debate, and I suspect that that Afghan withdrawal uh, will come up along with funding for Ukraine and a number of things that we've talked about here. Are you watching? What are you watching for? Look, I'm not going to watch this first debate. I'm going to get the, you know, I'll read the the reports uh, from you and others uh, the day after to see what I should know. Um, I think I'm going to take my kids out to dinner because I'm home for a change, which is not all that common in this job. But look, <laughs> this is basically a, a circus um, when it should be a really serious debate. And there's going to be everybody's talking. Everybody's just going to be talking about what this means in terms of Trump when they should be talking about what they're going to do for the American people. And I think that's a good question that anyone watching the debate should take into this, this circus, if that's what it is. You'll hear a lot of complaints, but the question everyone should ask is what's your plan? What are you going to do to actually change things? Don't just complain about whatever political hot button issue of the day is. Ask how these candidates are actually going to lead. That's the question that we should ask. I hope you have a good dinner uh, with the kids on the North Shore. Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, uh, among others, including the China Select Committee. We thank you as always. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. 
Uh, Kaylee, we knew that Rudy Giuliani was in Atlanta. He flew from New York this yeah. morning saying, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. <laughs> and apparently he does now have uh, a bond for his release. Yeah, this is great reporting from our Eric Larson, who works on our legal coverage here at Bloomberg. Mm -hmm. Apparently that bond is $150,000 in this case in Georgia. Of course, a lot of the bond deals we've seen coming through, like Sidney Powell earlier, around $100,000 for former President Trump, who we expect to appear in Fulton County tomorrow. Yes. It's two hundred grand. 200000 for the former president. Here is uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, the former mayor of New York, walking out of his apartment this morning on his way to the jet where he was greeted by a group of reporters. I don't know if I plead today, but if I do, I plead not guilty. And I get photographed. Isn't that nice? A, a mugshot for the man who probably put the worst criminals of the 20th century in jail. You find a prosecutor who has a better record of mine in the last hundred years. I bet you don't. Or a mayor. And they're, gonna, they're going to they're gonna degrade themselves by doing a mugshot of me. A mugshot, indeed. That's going to go for Donald Trump as well. It's interesting that he chooses to highlight his record as a prosecutor because, of course, he used the RICO Act. Yes, indeed. And a lot of different individuals, including going after all five leaders of the five families at once mm -hmm. several decades ago. Mm -hmm. And now here he is being charged with a violation it's of incredible. the RICO Act in Georgia. It's incredible stuff. And as Rick Davis uh, reminded us last hour, the man who invented the perp walk, as we know it, <laughs> taking CEOs out of their offices in handcuffs, parading them before the press. It's just a, 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 just an incredible moment, if, if not an ironic one. Sidney Powell, by the way, still set to unleash the Kraken, uh, has bond set at $100,000. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a few shades of bail here, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Wendy's with us, uh, which I'm, I'm glad that Wendy Benjaminson is here at this moment. Bloomberg, Washington, senior editor, uh, $150,000 for Rudy Giuliani. He's not worth 200. That's what I'm wondering. I'm waiting for the true social post to come out any minute now to go, wait a minute. How come I had to pay $200,000, Donald Trump? How come Rudy gets away with 150 and Sydney only 100? It's, 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 I don't know what they're thinking, except maybe it's the number of criminal accounts against them. I'm sure there's actually some yes, logic course, right. Right. Um But, you know, I don't think Donald Trump's going to be happy about that. Well, and of course, it's going to be his turn tomorrow. Right. He said himself on true social. Yes, that arrest right. is Thursday yeah. for yep. him in Fulton County. When we get the mugshot, we have all been waiting for Wendy. Maybe the mugshot. There's he's you know the Fulton County Sheriff at one point said absolutely right. treat him like gets, anyone else. But then there's some talk about whether Bonnie Willis will actually do that or not hmm. because it's not like we don't know what he looks like. So um, <laughs> you know they may do it, but I I think I think if anyone were going to do it, it would be the Fulton County people because they're going mm -hmm. they're treating this like. Any other state case. Yeah. We heard from John Eastman uh, when he showed up yesterday. This is, of course, the former attorney who helped to kind of craft the scheme, allegedly, with the fake electors and the effort to overturn results of the 20 election. Uh, he says he's going to fight. He's, he's, he's apparently not going to cooperate, and that isn't a real surprise. But listen to his commentary on this moment. In it represents time. a crossing of the Rubicon for our country, implicating the fundamental First Amendment right to petition the government for redress of grievances. As troubling, it targets attorneys for their zealous advocacy on behalf of their clients, something attorneys are ethically bound to provide, and which was attempted here by formally challenging the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means. You can weigh in on that defense if you want. I know you're not a legal analyst, but <laughs> no. but is this the crossing of the Rubicon, or did we cross the Rubicon on January 6th? Well, that's... 
That is the heart of the question, Joe. I mean, yes, the country has crossed the Rubicon now. We we have a former president of the United States under four criminal indictments. We have top attorneys under criminal indictment. But yes, is John Eastman putting the cart before the horse? Was the moment the attempted coup on January 6th and the question that we're still wrestling with and the prosecutors seem to believe is whether the acts these people took were actually crimes or not. It feels like it. It walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck, but I'm not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And that will be actually for 12 jurors in each case to decide. But, you know, he's not wrong that we're, we're in another reality here. Yeah. And you mentioned the fact that this is indictment number four. We're talking about their, it's by far the largest. They've asked for a trial date early next year. But when you have 19 individuals to prosecute, it seems like the general consensus is is that this is not going to happen anytime soon. It is within the next week, though, on the 28th. So just five days from now that That's in Washington, right. yep. there will be a hearing to set the date in this in the January 6th in case January. that was brought right. federally by Jack Smith. They want that one to start on January 2nd. So. We're going to get some further indication here on just how quickly these things are going to move forward. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we're talking about a debate, the first Republican primary debate today. And it just goes to show you how <laughs> yeah. many different distractions there are going to be in this campaign cycle Absolutely. when you have all of these legal issues. Right. I mean, the front runner is not going to show up at the debate, but he's going to surrender right. to the Georgia State or Fulton County authorities tomorrow. It's completely, completely bizarre. But... The debate tonight will be really, really interesting to see who the possible alternative to Trump will be yes, if Republican right. voters ever decide well, that so he's it, not their guy anymore. There are different ways to look at this. That's one of them. Is this actually the best thing that happened to all the other candidates? Because some would say, hey, look, there's going to be no ratings. It's a tree that falls in the woods. They're all going to just kind of yell at each other waiting for the, the real candidate to show up. But maybe this is a huge benefit for somebody who could not otherwise break out. Absolutely. I mean, tens of millions of people have watched primary debates. Mm-hmm. And even though those who aren't getting attention are saying, well, no one pays attention till after <laughs> Labor Day. Yeah. But tens of millions of people watched the Democratic first primary debates in August of 2019. Mm-hmm. And in August of 2015, there was that first Republican debate where Trump was the breakout guy. He was in the single that? digits of polling. Yeah. And then, you know, he he had his viral moment mm-hmm. insulting Megyn Kelly, the Fox former Fox broadcaster, and then he, you know, had Rosie just, O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell uh-huh. and with the list goes on of How people he that? insulted and that. But these um but that's where he had his breakout moment. These guys are not Trump in terms of marketing themselves, but these guys, I'm sorry, these people, including Nikki Haley. Yes. And we'll we'll see tonight. But tonight is their first and biggest chance, yes, to break out of the Trump and the eight other people. Yeah, but they're going to be forced to talk about him. Our understanding is that the Fox totally. moderators are planning to use sound bites of the former president <laughs> in their questioning <laughs> to work him in. Well, they can do it from the X interview with Just Tucker in, Carlson, Tucker right, in real space interview that, yes, that's going to be going on exactly at the same moment. Well, Trump's so going to be talking. Which is a more important conversation, Kaylee? I mean, I, you can't really have one without the other, right? Well, this is the question. I mean, we were talking just in our last segment with Libby Cantrell of PIMCO about the policy substance we could get. Right. And my question was how much policy substance matters from all of these other candidates who are not the front runner when ultimately the policy that the market may have to contend with is the one who actually is the nominee ultimately. And at the moment, at least, (laughs) it looks like Trump. So as we're looking for policy clarity, 
maybe it's not yet time for financial market participants well, to pay I don't attention. Know. I, I think yeah. the one way these guys can break out, because it's all Trump and the other people. Mm-hmm. So right. now maybe one of them could break out with some really interesting policy. Whether Ramaswamy breaks out with his, let's find out how many federal agents were on the 9-11 planes. He yeah, said that today. That's right. um, with some of his other odd, out of out of step, I should say, with the mainstream Republican orthodoxy on Ukraine funding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll we'll get to see a little more about who these people are. Mm-hmm. If Brett and Martha, the um, the the uh, moderators of the debate, mm-hmm. actually get to ask them those questions. You wonder right. if the real show ends up being in the spin room. Yeah, because Africa. they've oh, banned yeah. the RNC has banned Trump surrogates. But Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are going anyway. Is that going to be the real fight we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I I can't imagine a locked door that Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't try to go through. Wow. So we'll have to see how that works like tonight. To There's a loophole, right? They can be invited by someone. That's true. If they're a guest on a news network that's right. there. But would you like to be that news network, the one inviting Donald Trump surrogates into the tent? And who's yeah. going to do that? Organizers might not love that. I don't know if Fox would do that. It's that would be upstaging their own show. That's so, right. Yeah. And they're not inviting. I don't know. This is going to be interesting. To <laughs> Can find I out. just ask quickly, how logistically are you going to do this tonight? Wendy? do you watch the debate live and then watch the X thing after? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to divvy up my time. This yeah. Week. How I personally cover all do it. it. I'm going to have a lot of screens <laughs> open at once, but we do have people assigned to the Trump show. We have people assigned <laughs> to the debate and we're going to try to put it all together in one big. That's got to be advantage. Elon advantage Trump. I'm thinking, cause you can go back and watch that anytime you want. Right. People get, right. you know, you, Check out an hour of Milwaukee, then they go on X or whatever the heck we call it. Yeah. Is Elon going to do something special? Like when you log on tonight, there's a big, <laughs> are there fireworks or something? I don't know. I don't, I, we yeah. have a lot to learn. We'll find out. More questions than answers, even with Wendy Benjaminson. Great to have you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street. The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.